my bread, that he would do well for me, and endeavour to enter me fairly into the station of life which he had been just recommending to me. I was sincerely affected with this discourse, as indeed who could be otherwise, and I resolved not to think of going abroad any more, but to settle at home according to my father's desire. But, alas, a few days wore it all off, and in short, to prevent any of my father's farther importunities, in a few weeks after I resolved to run quite away from him. I told my mother that my thoughts were so entirely bent upon seeing the world that I should never settle to anything with resolution enough to go through with it, and my father had better give me his consent than force me to go without it. That I was now eighteen years old, which was too late to go to apprentice to a trade or clerk to an attorney, that I was sure if I did, I should never serve out my time, and I should certainly run away from my master before my time was out and go to sea. And if she would speak to my father to let me go but one voyage abroad, if I came home again and did not like it, I would go no more, and I would promise by a double diligence to recover that time I had lost. This put my mother into a great passion. She told me she knew it would be to no purpose to speak to my father upon any such subject, that he knew too well what was my interest to give his consent to anything so much for my hurt, and that she wondered how I could think of any such thing after such a discourse as I had had with my father, and such kind and tender expressions as she knew my father had used to me, and that, in short, if I would ruin myself, there was no help for me but I might depend I should never have their consent to it, that for her part she should not have so much hand in my destruction, and I should never have it to say that my mother was willing when my father was not. Though my mother refused to move it to my father, yet, as I have heard afterwards, she reported all the discourse to him, and that my father, after showing a great concern at it, said to her with a sigh, That boy might be happy if he would stay at home, but if he goes abroad he will be the miserablest wretch that ever was born. I can give no consent to it. It was not until almost a year after this that I broke loose, though in the meantime I continued obstinately deaf to all proposals of settling to business, and frequently expostulating with my father and mother about their being so positively determined against what they knew my inclinations prompted me to. But being one day at Hull, and one of my companions being going by sea to London in his father's ship, and prompting me to go with them, with the common allurement of seafaring men, that it should cost me nothing for my passage, I consulted neither father nor mother any more, nor so much as sent them word of it, but leaving them to hear of it as they might, without asking God's blessing or my father's, without any consideration of circumstances or consequences, and in an ill hour, God knows, on the 1st of September, 1651, I went on board a ship bound for London. Never any young adventurer's misfortunes, I believe, began sooner or continued longer than mine. The ship was no sooner gotten out of the Humber, but the wind began to blow and the waves to rise in a most frightful manner and, as I had never been at sea before, I was most inexpressibly sick in body and terrified in my mind. 
I began now seriously to reflect upon what I had done, and how justly I was overtaken by the judgment of heaven for my wicked leaving my father's house and abandoning my duty. All the good counsel of my parents, my father's tears, and my mother's entreaties came now fresh into my mind, and my conscience reproached me with the contempt of advice and the breach of my duty to God and my father. All this while the storm increased, and the sea, which I had never been upon before, went very high, though nothing like what I have seen many times since, no, nor like what I saw a few days after. But it was enough to affect me then, who was but a young sailor and had never known anything of the matter. I expected every wave would have swallowed us up, and that every time the ship fell down, as I thought, in the trough or hollow of the sea, we should never rise more. And in this agony of mind I made many vows and resolutions that if it would please God here to spare my life this one voyage, if ever I got once my foot upon dry land again, I would go directly home to my father and never set it into a ship again while I lived. These wise and sober thoughts continued all the while the storm continued, and indeed some time after, but the next day the wind was abated and the sea calmer, and I began to be a little inured to it. However, I was very grave for all that day, being also a little seasick still. But towards night the weather cleared up, the wind was quite over, and a charming fine evening followed. The sun went down perfectly clear, and rose so the next morning, and having little or no wind and a smooth sea, the sun shining upon it, the sight was, as I thought, the most delightful that ever I saw. I had slept well in the night, and was now no more seasick, but very cheerful, looking with wonder upon the sea that was so wrought and terrible the day before, and could be so calm and so pleasant in so little time after. And now, lest my good resolutions should continue, my companion, who had indeed enticed me away, comes to me. "'Well, Bob,' says he, clapping me on the shoulder, how do you do after it? I warrant you were frighted, weren't you, last night, when it blew but a capful of wind? A capful, do you call it? said I. It was a terrible storm. <laughs> a storm, you fool, you, replied he. Do you call that a storm? Why, it was nothing at all. Give us but a good ship and sea room, and we think nothing of such a squall of wind as that. But you're a fresh water sailor, Bob. Come, let's make a bowl of punch, and we'll forget all that. Do you see what charming weather it is now? To make short this sad part of my story, we went the old way of all sailors. The punch was made, and I was made drunk with it. And in that one night's wickedness, I drowned all my repentance, all my reflections upon my past conduct, and all my resolutions for my future. I entirely forgot vows and promises that I made in my distress. The serious thoughts did endeavour to return again some time, but I shook them off, and I had in five or six days got as complete a victory over conscience as any young fellow that resolved not to be troubled with it could desire. The sixth day of our being at sea, we came into Yarmouth Roads. The wind having been contrary and the weather calm, we made but little way since the storm. Here we were obliged to come to an anchor, and here we lay. 
After we had lain four or five days, the wind blew very hard. However, the roads being reckoned as good as a harbour, the anchorage good and our ground tackle very strong, our men were unconcerned, and not in the least apprehensive of danger, but spent the time in rest and mirth, after the manner of the sea. But the eighth day, in the morning, the wind increased, and we had all hands at work to strike our topmasts and make everything snug and close, that the ship might ride as easy as possible. By noon it blew a terrible storm indeed. Now I began to see terror and amazement in the faces even of the seamen themselves. The master, though vigilant to the business of preserving the ship, yet as he went in and out of his cabin by me, I could hear him softly to himself say several times, Lord, be merciful to us. We shall be all lost. We shall be all undone. And the like. The sea went mountains high, and broke upon us every three or four minutes. When I could look about, I could see nothing but distress round us. Two ships that rid near us, we found, had cut their masts by the board, being deep loaden, and our men cried out that a ship which rid about a mile ahead of us was foundered. Two more ships being driven from their anchors were run out of the roads to sea, and that with not a mast standing. The lightships fared the best, as not so much labouring in the sea. But two or three of them drove and came close by us, running away with only their spritsail out before the wind. Towards evening the mate and boatswain begged the master of our ship to let them cut away the foremast, which he was very unwilling to. But the boatswain protesting to him that if he did not, the ship would founder, he consented. And when they had cut away the foremast, the mainmast stood so...